Part two of Dialogue Between a Methodist and a Churchman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Dialogue Between a Methodist and a Churchman by William Law. The Methodist read by David Barnes. The Churchman read by Kirsten Ferreri. Part two. I must confess you have said more than I expected to hear, and more than I can at present answer, but pray show me how it appears that St. Paul by his faith alone means nothing else but the Christian religion alone, or the system of gospel doctrines alone. You might as well ask me how it appears that Paul was an apostle or witness of Jesus Christ alone, for how could he be an apostle of Christ alone if he meant anything by his faith alone, but the whole that is meant by the whole gospel religion of Christ? Therefore, wherever St. Paul ascribes salvation to faith alone, you have the fullest proof that he himself could possibly give you, that by faith alone he means neither more nor less than the whole gospel religion alone. St. Paul has these words. God forbid that I should glory in anything save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here you see, all is rejected by the cross of Christ alone. This alone is his glory, and a good glory it was. But would not all that is true and good in this speech of Paul's be perverted and lost, unless by the cross alone you understand the whole process, doctrines, and precepts of a crucified Saviour, that is, the whole Christian religion? Now, thus it is with faith alone. And if Paul had said, God forbid that I should glory in anything but in faith alone in Christ, he had said just the same thing as when he would have no glory but in the cross alone. For where all that is Christian joy or hope or comfort or salvation is ascribed to any one single thing, whether it be called faith alone or the cross alone, there that faith and that cross must stand equally, and only for the whole gospel religion. And then to say that a man is saved by the cross alone or by faith alone is the same sound, and good truth. I know whom I have believed, saith the apostle. And if he had said, I know whom I have followed, whom I had obeyed, the thing had been just the same. For to follow Christ, or to be in the faith of Christ, or to be a disciple of the cross, are three different expressions. But the meaning of them all is but one and the same. I am not ashamed, saith St. Paul, of the cross of Christ. Just the same as if he had said, I am not ashamed of the gospel kingdom of Christ. For that he means by the cross, the whole religion of the gospel. He tells you in saying that it is the power of God to salvation. And what is or can be this power but that whole process, precepts and doctrines of Christ which make the whole religion of the gospel? Again, I have determined, saith he, to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. But will you thence infer that all other knowledge, whether of the birth, life, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, was rejected by him as quite useless and unprofitable? Yet this would be full as well, as to infer that, because he saith, By faith alone ye are saved, therefore no works are to be admitted as saving, but are to be rejected as vain and quite unprofitable to salvation. For the knowledge of Christ crucified alone, and faith alone, are then each of them, put for the whole gospel religion, and not for faith, as signifying a single power of the mind, nor for the cross, as meaning the single crucifixion of Christ. Further, 
Drop now for a while this consideration of faith, in which St. Paul has used it for the whole gospel doctrine, and consider faith in the sense in which our Lord and the whole Scripture most frequently speak of it, as a living, working power of the mind, that wills, and desires, and hopes, and trusts, and believes, and obeys. And in this sense of the word it will be absolutely true that works have just the same salvation in them that faith hath, because, in the very nature of the thing, works are of the same nature with, and inseparable from, faith, lest the faith or works be what they will, because faith is nothing else, has nothing else, but what its works are. This is equally true of every man, and every faith in the world. He has no works but the workings of his faith. For as life has no existence but in and by its living operations, so faith hath no existence but in its own workings. Now, if you will have a life alone without its living operations, then you must have a life that is without motion, without will or desire, without hearing, seeing, feeling, or any inclination to anything. And then you have a life that is just as good as a dead carcass. So, if you will have a Christian faith that is alone, and not made up of works, you must have a Christian faith that has no penitence, no humility, no denial of self, no hunger after righteousness, no striving to enter in at the straight gate, no love of God or your neighbor. For faith cannot be alone, or without works, till it is without all these workings. And then you have a faith alone, that is just as able to fight St. Paul's good fight of faith, as the dead carcasses to take a city. And let me tell you, that these works are not only the very essence of faith, and inseparable from it, but that faith itself can have no beginning, but from some one or other of them, nor any further growth, but as these grow more and more. For faith and its works beget, and are begotten of, one another. For as it must be said, that humility and penitence are the true fruits or works of faith, so it may be as truly said, that humility or penitence are the first root or seed from whence faith gets its birth. Faith, considered as an act or operation of the mind, is like any other faculty or power. It cannot be alone, any more than will, desire, longing, hoping, fearing, wishing, loving, trusting, or rejoicing, can any of them be alone, or in a state of separation from the rest. And to ascribe salvation to any one of these tempers alone, and by itself, would be as consistent with Scripture, and the nature of the thing, as to ascribe it to faith alone, considered as a single thing, and separate from all other works, or working of the mind. But faith not considered as the working of the will or an operation of the mind, but as meaning the whole system of gospel, religion, may and must be alone salvation, without anything else but itself, and that for the same reason as St. Peter says, that Christ alone is the only stone, or the only name, by which we can be saved. Would you therefore come out of that thickness of darkness, which a blind Babylonish spirit of dispute has in these latter ages brought into St. Paul's doctrine of faith without works? This must be your way. You must take, or put faith for the whole gospel religion, when he opposes it to or separates it from works, and then you will rightly understand why he saith, By faith alone you are saved. You must also put Jewish or heathenish to the works, which he excludes from faith, and then you will rightly understand what works he declares to have no salvation in them. This is the true unerring key to all his whole doctrine about faith without works. But where has St. Paul himself told you that by faith alone he means the whole gospel religion alone? 
He has told it me as often, and wherever he has said that by faith alone we are saved. For how could he more show you that he means neither more nor less by it than by telling you that it alone is salvation? Would you have salvation to be obtained by something different from the whole of gospel religion? Fancy now St. Paul explaining himself and saying, When I ascribe salvation to faith alone, I do not mean by faith the whole of gospel doctrine. What greater absurdity could you charge upon him? This doctrine of faith alone and without works is nothing else but the gospel religion alone, in opposition to the religion and works of Jews and heathens, and is solely directed to these two sorts of people, and not, as is blindly imagined, to set Christian faith in opposition to Christian works, which would be no better than teaching a Christian to be good without goodness. To the Jews he thus speaks. We have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. Here faith and works stand for the two religions, the one of Christ, the other of Moses. For what are the works of the law but the works of the Mosaic religion, or what the faith of Christ but the whole new religion of the gospel? Therefore, to tell these people that they were to be saved by faith alone and without works was only telling them that they were to be saved by leaving or turning from Judaism to Christianity, or that they could not enter into the kingdom of God, or the gospel faith, or the church of Christ, for they all mean the same thing, till they had done with and left off all the works of the law. I testify, says he unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing." To the heathens or Greeks he preaches the same doctrine with regard to their religious state, namely, that all the works of their religion and lives must be forsaken and turned from, that by embracing the religion or faith of Christ they might be saved. I have, says he, kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, publicly, and from house to house testifying both to Jew and Greek, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance towards God signified the necessity of their having done with their former religion, works, and manner of life. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ signified the necessity of their becoming members of a new gospel church, or kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not a word through all St. Paul that rejects any works but those which Jews and heathens were satisfied with, and would not give up for the gospel state of the kingdom of God, which kingdom is called Paul the faith of Christ. Not a word of the sufficiency of faith alone, but where it stands for the whole of gospel doctrine. Again, St. Paul himself hath told me that by faith alone he means the gospel religion alone. In the following passages, I have, says he, fought the good fight, I have finished my course, and as a proof of this, he adds, I have kept the faith. Must not faith here stand for the whole gospel religion? Again, before faith came, we were under the law. Does not faith here as certainly signify the whole religion of the gospel, as the law signifies the whole religion of Moses? Again, if they who are under the law be heirs, then faith is made void. That is, the whole religion of Jesus Christ is made needless, and of no use or benefit. Can he more plainly tell you that by faith, as opposed to the works of the law, he means nothing else but the whole of the gospel doctrine? This is said to the Jews. To the Gentiles, at another time he speaks the same truth in these words, By grace ye are saved through faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, the very self-same gift, of which Christ spoke to the woman at Jacob's well, saying, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. 
Now, what is this gift of God with his living water, but the Christ of God with all his redeeming process, from his birth to his ascension into heaven, freely given by God, that man might thereby be saved? Therefore this faith or gift of God by which alone we can be saved signifies neither more nor less than the whole gospel means of salvation. The apostle adds, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here works are totally excluded. But what works? Why only works of self, and works that man could or would boast of? But these works are only therefore excluded from gospel faith or salvation, that godly works, which have nothing of self or boasting in them, may come up in their stead. This the apostle affirmeth, saying, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. Ephesians 2. How great, then, is that learned delusion which opposes Christian faith to Christian works, because Paul opposes it to the unchristian works of Jews and heathens, or because he will not allow their several works to have any salvation in them, therefore will have it that the true followers of Christ neither can nor ought to have any salvation from their doing the works which Christ has taught and commanded them to do. A believer, or hearer, without doing, is but one and the same self-deceived person. In the gospel we have a father bidding his son go to work in his vineyard. The son consents, and saith, I go, sir, but he went not. This consenting and doing is the perfection of a faith without works. Surely you never minded these words of St. Paul, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him who justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. Surely you have been deaf to all that has been said, or you could never come now with such a text as this. For no more is said in it against working, or against any other works, but that very single thing which he saith in these words, that by the deeds of the law there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. Now, if it be the apostles' repeated doctrine that the deeds or works of the law must of all necessity be forborne, or ceased from, must he not, for that very reason, say to him that worketh not, that is, to him that ceaseth from working, as the law or religion of Moses requires, and turns to the faith of Christ, called the kingdom of God, this faith becometh his righteousness? But how doth it become his righteousness? The apostle tells you, it is through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, what is the redemption through Jesus Christ, but a redemption by and through all that which Christ, as God-man, was, did, suffered, obtained, taught, and commanded, that is, through and by the whole of the gospel religion? How is Christ our propitiation, or peace, but by that which he is and does in the inward change and renewal of our nature, in creating us again to good works, in bringing forth a new creature not born of man, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God? What is faith in his blood but the same thing as faith in his cross? And what is faith in either case but a hearty willingness and full desire wholly to cease or turn away from all heathenish or Jewish works, and to embrace and give ourselves up to all that is meant, taught, and required by the gospel faith or kingdom of God? Would you know the whole of St. Paul's doctrine about faith and against works or working? You have it all summed up by himself in the following words. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What room, then, for one single word about what he means by not working? Faith stands here for the gospel religion, and the deeds of the law signify the religion of Moses. 
No wonder, therefore, that he saith, A man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So sure, therefore, as you conclude either more or less, or other than St. Paul's own conclusion, so sure you may be that you abuse the apostle, falsify his doctrine, and sow your own tares among his wheat. Let me here ask you, in the elegant words of a last most amiable divine, must the efficacy of Christ's obedience be enforced by the accession of our works, maimed and worm-eaten things? There may, for aught I know, be elegance enough in these words, but truth and sense is quite wanting. For what have our good works to do with the efficacy of Christ's obedience, either as to the lessening or increasing of it? Or how has his obedience anything more added to it by our good works, than it has anything taken from it by the evil works of those who crucified him? What careful doer of good works ever said or thought after this manner? I strive to obey thy will, O God, that thereby Christ's obedience may be made more perfect than it was in him. I lift up my heart and eyes to heaven, that Christ sitting there at thy right hand may be more powerful than it is in itself. On the other hand, what a wise man of faith would he be who should abstain from prayer, etc., lest he should seem, by such worm-eaten petitions, to be adding something to Christ's all-sufficient intercession in heaven. Again, fancy another man of faith alone saying thus, I cannot have any care about denying myself, taking up my daily cross, and following thee. I cannot do these things as helping forward my salvation, because that would be no better than presuming to help thee to be a more full and sufficient Saviour than thou art in thyself, and without my works. Can anything be more absurd or irreligious than this? And yet all of it is manifestly contained in the elegant words of your friend. If we walk as Christ walked, and do the works of Christ, we shall on that account be rewarded with him. This is the same good doctrine as when the Apostle saith, If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Here you see our own sufferings are not only required, but made the ground of our reigning with our suffering Saviour. But what man, not intoxicated with the elegance of words, would call or look upon this as adding our maimed, worm-eaten sufferings to make the sufferings of Christ greater and more valuable than they are in themselves? As silly a thought as to say that our following of Christ is helping him to be the Son of God. Our blessed Lord keeps our eye continually upon good works, or things that we ourselves are to do. Strive, says he, to enter in at the straight gate. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He does not say all is already gained, received, found, and opened by what he has done and suffered. Now if this striving, asking, knocking, etc., were but maimed, worm-eaten things, surely it had been better to forbid than to command them. Or if he had said to his disciples that this striving and seeking were such maimed, worm-eaten things, surely he had said as much against them, and with the same intention of turning them from them, as when he bid them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and compared their goodness to whited sepulchres, full of stench, corruption, and dead men's bones. You vehemently accuse the clergy with acting contrary to the articles of the church, because preaching up justification along with works— but you quite forget that your making Christian works no better than maimed, worm-eaten things stands in full contrariety to many of the best prayers in our liturgy. Thus, how many collects are like this? Grant, O Lord, that by thy holy inspiration we may think those things that be good, and by thy merciful guiding perform the same. Is this prayer in vain? Or, if God hears us, can no better works come from it than worm-eaten things? 
Agreeable to this prayer, St. Paul saith, I can do all things through Christ that strengthenest me. The same may everyone say as well as he, but according to your new light, these all things are but worm-eaten things. Again, what difference is there between the old man and his deeds which we are to put off, and the new man in Christ that is to be put on if he has no deeds but what are maimed worm-eaten things? But hear now what Christ saith of the necessity, the excellency, and efficacy of Christian good works, in the following words, Whosoever heareth my sayings, and doeth them, is like a man who built a house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when floods arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Here you see the excellence, the power, and efficacy of Christian good works, compared by our Lord to the strength and firmness of a house built upon a rock, which floods and tempests cannot overthrow. How could he more fully show you that they are the beginning, the continual strength and support of the divine life, than by comparing them to a rock on which a house begins, and from which it hath all its power of standing against all floods and tempests? How could he better show you that this rock of good works, all proceeding from his power within us, is that very rock on which he builds a church, against which the gates of hell shall never prevail? On the other hand, call anything salvation but Christian works, and then you have Christ's word for it that you are like the man that without a foundation built his house upon the sand, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here again what our Lord saith of Christian works. A good man, saith he, out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. But how could this possibly be if Christian works could be no better than maimed, worm-eaten things? And here, by the by, let me desire you well to observe whence it is, that the good man bringeth forth good things, not as your orator tells you, because Christ's goodness or righteousness is outwardly imputed to him, and so made his. No, truth itself tells you the direct contrary, that it proceeds from the good treasure of his heart, and therefore is a goodness born within him. Now, whence has he this good treasure of his heart, and what is it? It is that treasure of a divine life or nature which Adam had at first, and to which he died, and which by the free grace and mercy of God was secured to him and all his posterity, as a seed of the woman, a preserved remains or power of his first divine nature. Christ in Adam was his first glory and perfection of life, Christ remaining in fallen Adam, as a preserved seed of his first divine nature, is the only ground and foundation of his being able to be made again in Christ a new creature. This divine seed of the woman is so much of Christ remaining in him, and thence it is that Christ alone hath power to be the mediator and redeemer of man, because that which it is to be raised from death into life in us is nothing else but the incorruptible seed of himself in us. This, sir, is that good treasure of the heart, out of which the good man bringeth forth good things, and is in itself nothing more or less than a seed of Adam's first divine life within us, preserved by God's never-ceasing love towards man, as his covenant of grace and redemption within us, which seed, as it comes through the mediation of Christ to a new power of life in us, causes all those different sensibilities, called humility, penitence, fear, prayer, faith, hope, and earnest seeking after God. 
Will you now ever say a word more about your fiction of an outwardly imputed goodness, when Christ has so expressly told you that its birth is from within, from the good treasure of the heart which is himself within us, as good fruit doth from a good tree, he saith, either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree corrupt, and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. No, say your imputation, doctors, that need not be. Let some good hand only hang good fruit outwardly upon it, and then you will rightly know the tree by its fruits. And it will be more glorious to the tree to have a variety of good fruit outwardly imputed to it, or hung upon it, than to have good fruit from its own good root. Our present matter is not about the doctrine of imputation. If you will not stick closely to the point of faith alone, I must beg leave to depart. The doctrine of the outward imputation of Christ's righteousness, and the doctrine of faith alone, is but one and the very same individual point. For what is your faith alone but a faith in that imputed righteousness? The righteousness of Christ we must have, or he can be no saviour to us. This is granted on both sides. But you, for the great glory of God and the great good of man, are for having it only outwardly imputed to us, which is just such a glory to God, and would be such a good to a blind man, as if, instead of opening his eyes, only the good far-seeing eyes of an angel were outwardly imputed to him. On the other hand, we believe and contend for an inward birth of Christ's righteousness in us, because it was the birth of our first glorious Father, and because it is to the eternal glory of God, and the eternal good of man, that his inward sinful nature may be quite destroyed, by a birth of his original righteousness rising up in its stead, that so all that was lost in Adam may be found again in Christ. Can you possibly be told this in stronger terms than when Christ saith, Except a man be born again from above, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God? St. John beareth witness to this truth, saying, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. The same as saying, Till a man is born of God, he continueth under the power of his sinful nature. But why does such a man not sin? The apostle tells you, Because his seed, that is, the seed of God, remaineth in him. Had St. John the least thought of a righteousness of Christ outwardly imputed, when he places all our freedom from sin and power over it, to a seed of God remaining in us? Or if he had ever heard of such a thought in other people, how could he more fully condemn it than in saying, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Here you see, all is deceit, be they notions, opinions, faiths, hopes, imputed righteousness, or whatever else you can name, all is deceit till a man, by doing righteousness, is righteous, even as he is righteous. Then it is that Christ's righteousness has become his righteousness, and this alone is the righteousness of Christ that is his full and only justification in the sight of God, and that for this one reason, because it is Christ himself, that is his divine and righteous nature, born within him which the apostle thus strongly asserts, if ye know that he is righteous. What follows from this knowledge? The apostle adds then, ye know that every one that doth righteousness is born of him, that is, hath a birth of his divine and righteous nature, brought forth in him, and consequently he that is not born of him hath nothing of Christ's righteousness to be his salvation. I must say again that you ramble strangely about with multiplicity of words. Our doctrine is that works have no share in saving us, because, as our friend strongly expresses it, Christ will either be a whole saviour or none at all. 
Had your friend said, We can have no salvation but in Christ alone, he had said a good scripture truth. But this strange unscriptural language of Christ, who will either be a whole saviour or none at all, hath the same bad meaning in it, as if he were to say, Christ will do nothing for us unless we forbear to concur or do anything along with him. Now Christ saith, Follow me, take my yoke upon you. But if following of Christ, if taking his yoke upon us is necessary, then something that is to be done by ourselves is as necessary to our salvation as that which is done by Christ for us. And some works are as truly salvation works as any acts of faith are saving. Whoever denied that we are to follow Christ and take his yoke upon us? But will such works do us any good or recommend us to God? I will give you no answer but in the decisive words of our friend, if, says he, you think that you have any good service of your own to recommend you to God, you are certainly without any interest in Christ. Our own service is but like own will, and no more good can come from it than from the old natural man with his deeds. But our Saviour has assured us that there is a good man, who out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. Now, these are the good works that are pleaded for as absolutely necessary and essential to a true and saving faith. Say now, that if we think such good works recommend us to God, we are certainly without any interest in Christ, and then it were better that you should preach such doctrine to stocks and stones than to Christian ears. For who can receive it without giving up the most constant and repeated salvation doctrines of Scripture? What more frequent through all our Bible than passages of the same nature with this, to do good and to communicate forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased? Now, must a man who believes this, and thinks that such things recommend him to God, be therefore certainly without any interest in Christ? Here Christ himself thus calling out for good works, in all those who expect to have any interest in him. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Will such a caller upon the Lord, without good works, have his sufficient excuse by saying, Lord, I thought thou wouldst be my whole Saviour or none at all, and therefore I durst not think of recommending myself to God, by doing his will, lest I should thereby lose all interest in thee. End of Part 2